everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you this evening. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about the nine-year anniversary, April 16, 2011. If you live in North Carolina, anywhere around that time period, or even now, you remember the major tornado outbreak that occurred. And tonight we're going to be looking back at that event. We have with us tonight um, Mike Mays, a Chief Meteorologist at WRAL. We also have with us Dan Whitaker and Jeremy Gilchrist. They were out in the field chasing these tornadoes and so we're going to get their perspectives. Also with us we have Tim Buckley who is the Chief Meteorologist at WFMY but at the time was working in Wilmington, North Carolina at WWAY and we have Gannon Medwick on with us who is Chief Meteorologist at WECT in Wilmington but at the time was working at WNCT in New Bern, North Carolina and we have with us Jeff Orrock and he uh, is the uh, meteorologist in charge at the NWS office in Wakefield, Virginia. But at the time, he was also working at the NWS in Raleigh. So we have a, a big uh, group of, uh, of uh, guests with us tonight. So looking forward to um, each and everyone's perspective of this event. I do want to um, hand it off to Mike first, kind of let him give a, a brief background of, of his um, recall of this event because he has to run and and get some things done. So Mike, uh, I want to kick it off to you first and uh, tell us a little bit about your perspective. I know uh, you was uh, on uh, on the air during the event. So uh, kind of talk to us about uh, the lead up to the event and, and any memories during uh, co covering the tornado that you remember. Uh, first off, I apologize. We got our cleaning crew coming into the studio. So it's probably gonna get loud because he's pushing his garbage can around. Uh, I recall a few days prior to the event, which happened on a Saturday, uh, SPC putting us in a risk, I believe it was moderate on that Friday. And then Saturday morning, I woke up to a high risk. Now, uh, at the time, Greg Fischel, who was the chief meteorologist at the time, uh, was out of town. He had a family emergency up in Pennsylvania, so uh, he had to leave. So I have never covered an event as massive as the one that happened on that Saturday. Uh, without him being here. So it's kind of like he's Batman, I'm Robin, and then Batman's gone and Robin has to take over. So for somebody who's never been the lead, uh, it was kind of nerve wracking, but I had Nate Johnson with me who had tornado coverage experience. He was the chief meteorologist in Abilene, Texas. You guys probably know, all know Nate. Um, so that morning, uh, just the way the atmosphere felt, uh, you could tell something was coming and uh, Around lunchtime, one o'clock, we started having the tornadoes develop over the sand hills. Uh, the first one, I believe, was in Sanford, had caused the damage to the Lowe's home improvement store there and tracked to the north and east. Now, uh, I've been here in North Carolina since 1994. I've been in uh, tornado coverage, but I've never had tornado coverage of long track tornadoes like the ones we saw that day. And at one point we had four tornadoes on the ground and Nate and I were juggling back and forth uh, where I was handling two tornadoes, he was handling two. Um, it, it was just an incredibly rough day. And I'm sure everybody here in this group uh, has their own stories about what happened. Uh, the hardest part for me, I guess, was watching that tornado leave Sanford and it was making a beeline to my house, to my neighborhood. I have family in town and I was hoping and praying that they were watching the coverage on TV. And I know, Tim, you're on TV. Uh, how do you get the point across to, to people that you know to take shelter. I couldn't stop and pick up the phone and say, hey, listen, a tornado's coming to the house. You need to take cover. Uh, so that's one thing that was, was upsetting to me. 
the tornado passed about 50 yards from my house, uh, damaged the subdivision right next to mine. I had some damage to some fencing. That was about it. I was very fortunate. And then after it passed my neighborhood, it was heading right here toward WREL. And I remember Nate Johnson yelling out loud to everybody in the studio, go to the basement, go to the basement, because it was at the time coming straight to the TV station. But at the last moment, it moved a little farther east and hit downtown instead of coming here. So uh, it, it was a really, really rough day. And I thought after all was said and done, because we were on there from two, at, two in the afternoon to 11 o'clock at night nonstop. I mean, we had continuous coverage the whole time. And at, when it was done, I thought, okay, this is going to be the worst. This is the benchmark of the worst coverage of a storm that I'll have in my career. But then we had Florence and it was just days upon days of coverage with that. But uh, yeah, it, it was not the best. And Jeff, from a National Weather Service perspective, how did y'all prepare and how were y'all getting the message out on the days ahead of the event? Yeah, I mean, the fact that we had the moderate risk the day before, and we already had a feeling we were headed into a high risk, to be honest with you. So, you know, we were already heavily staffed uh, for that day. We already had a pretty pretty good game plan. And I, I want to say by the time the, the storm started to move in from the west and really get going, I, I want to say we had at least a dozen people um, in the weather office and we sectorized warning operations so that, you know, we could have three or four different folks issuing tornado warnings simultaneously. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, folks working with Skywarn, um, I was kind of helping lead operations and also doing a lot of phone calls um, to the emergency managers. There was there's a lot of spin up ahead of this. Uh, there was a lot of email traffic, a lot of email briefings the day before. I remember even briefing uh, Seymour Johnson Air Force Base because um, they were at the high risk at that point and some of the precautions they were taking down there, um, you know, in the east. So there was a lot of preparation for it. You know, it's kind of one of those things where, like Mike was saying, everybody knew something bad was about to unfold. And I had been through Gerald, Texas, um, and the tornadoes out there. And, and so you know, going into this event, you know, that was kind of the back of my mind that, you know, we're, we're headed into something, you know, pretty big. And I do remember talking with Wake County and trying to explain what does a high risk day mean? I mean, the way we taught this in Texas was, was that, you know, someone's going to die today. I mean, these are going to be big, long track tornadoes. Um, and, you know, this is going to be some serious stuff. Jeff, you're, you're talking about Skywarn, um, the Storm Spotter group, and, and Jeremy and Dan, I want to bring you in here in just a second. Um, but I imagine like we were talking about social media, not really that big of a thing at the time with tweeting in reports, giving Facebook reports of the storm. How, how key were the, the Skywarn Storm Spotters for you that day? Yeah, I mean, we've always had a great network um, across, you know, central North Carolina. So that's, they've been outstanding. So, you know, we were getting a lot of real-time reports uh, from, from spotters. They were calling on the phone. We actually had ham radio operators. I want to say we had two or three in the office um, ready for this. So, so the network was just lighting up. We were getting a lot of reports, almost to the point where as it approached Holly Springs, I mean, you couldn't keep up with them all. Um, so that, that was a huge asset. Um, and just a lot of people just calling in on the phone, you know. It wasn't, we didn't have the social media like we do today, uh, but we really pretty much knew what was going on. We had heard the Lowe's had been destroyed um, about the time it was getting into Wake County. We'd already heard that the Lowe's hardware um, had been severely damaged or destroyed um, down there. And of course you could see the debris ball on, on radar. So you, you kind of had a sense that this was, was, was really serious stuff going on, but there was a lot of great real-time reports, um, not only you know across you know, the Raleigh area and down towards Sanford, but also with the Fayetteville uh, up to a Wilson tornado. I mean, we had a lot of great reports with that as well. 
Mike, one question for you um, made me think. You you're saying that uh, before Florence, this was the biggest event you covered. Uh, do you see any storm fatigue even from nine years from now? People kind of comparing severe weather events to April 16th. There was a lot of anxiety every time a risk would come up. You'd feel that. Uh, you'd feel what happened on April 16th. I would worry every time we had a. a like an SPC three-day outlook, and on the three-day outlook, there was like a, a enhanced risk or, and, or maybe just a slight risk, and what it would be when we finally got to that day. And I, I got to the point where I was dreading severe weather coverage because of what happened that day. You know, I'd get anxiety, I'd get scared, but I've gotten past that, and that, that's a good thing. Um, I remember that day when we had the four tornadoes on the ground at one time, I was worried about, okay, how are we gonna cover this? You, you can't show everything at one time. And we had to make sure, Nate and I had to make sure that we spent enough time on each storm to let people know that you know, it was coming to their communities, that they had to remain safe. Uh, but how do you juggle four tornadoes and form everybody in their past and make sure you allot enough time so they know what's going on? Uh, we tended to hang with the one that went through Raleigh more and Fayetteville more because it was affecting larger populations, you know, but that was the hard part and the worrisome part that we weren't giving enough, you know, coverage to one tornado and giving too much to another one. Tossing over to Tim uh, and Gannon as well, real quick. This was a career defining event. Um, one of the biggest, mm -hmm. or definitely the biggest in North Carolina. Are there any specific memories or stories that you remember hearing about that day from viewers? So I was in the Wilmington area. Um, and if you look at the map, the kind of the final one with all the red lines, it confirms where all the tornadoes were. Um, oftentimes the, the, the worst stuff doesn't quite get to Wilmington. Right. And, and in this case, it didn't either. So city of Wilmington was fine. A lot of the, the populated coastal centers were fine. But on the periphery in the rural areas, most of the tornadoes that we were covering for about eight hours that day, um, Robinson County, uh, Columbus County, Duplin County, uh, Onslow County, uh, Col uh, those, those counties inland were the ones we were talking about the most. Bladen County had, had I think, a four fatality storm. Um, we, as, as always we do, um, actually got a lot of angry phone calls uh, that day um, because most of the people in our area, they weren't, they weren't seeing much other than blue sky. Uh, it was a really nice April morning. It was close to 80 degrees, I remember, breezy. Um, there were NBA playoffs on at the day. So, so we, were, we were kind of fighting that battle in the newsroom, right? Keeping people at bay a little bit um, while we were doing tornado coverage. Now, later on, people understood how serious it was, especially once you started to see like the, the destroyed Lowe's foods and everything. But um, uh, that, was, that was my first time ever really doing tornadoes, to be honest with you. It was my second year in Wilmington. Prior to that, I was in college. So I didn't know a lick about tornadoes. I grew up in upstate New York. I went to school in Pennsylvania. We don't get tornadoes. I mean, not really. So this was new for me too. Um, but myself and Jerry Jackson, we, we were there for about, you know, we start, I think we went on TV at two and we went off at about eight. So it was a while um, covering these things. And it was just amazing to me how there were very few, if any, false alarms. Um, there were a million tornado warnings and there were a million tornadoes um, to use hyperbole, but they were pretty much each cell produced as it was going through. And it was just boom, 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 one after the other. Uh, and a lot of, a lot of damage was done, especially to the, to the rural areas in Southeast North Carolina. 
Um, my second daughter was born on the 11th. I didn't come back to work till Friday, just throwing stuff out there. Saw the slight to moderate risk, alerting for storms, going into Saturday. Um, I was third on the pecking order to be coming in because we had our weekend person, we had our chief, and I was doing mornings. Um, but it became clear, especially when we was going down in central North Carolina. Um, I was personally at home watching Nate Johnson with that tornado. It looked like a wedge, like a cloud just right to the ground um, that I was going in. And um, it, it's, it's coming, coming back um, to memories about just making sure you spend time on one storm to identify where the rotation is and give enough lead time before you have to move on to that next storm. And at some points, there were six, eight active warnings. Um, just a blur, the way it just continuously unfolds. You hit a storm, you move on to a storm, you, move, you circle back. Um, population centers, as Mike mentioned, preferred. There was uh, the one at Tarawa Terrace in Jacksonville. That was a big center in the Greenville New Bern television market. Jacksonville is the largest city. We had to hit that. Um, then we saw the storm report that the Bertie County storm had actually killed numerous people, ended up killed 12 people. So that was surreal. Um, when you are warning for storms and getting reports of damage, but no reports coming down off the, you know, the wire or whatever, that there's fatalities. And then all of a sudden, numerous fatalities is still weird to talk about. Um, ended up being 12 in Bertie County. And then finally, just going home that night, um, it, it, this event had everything. The event had everything to set up. And then the final, I mean, sometimes we say as meteorologists, we save lives. This was literally the only time that we were able to, some of our crews went out to Snow Hill in Greene County, and they were able to say, stand with a, a family in their house that was completely destroyed, except for the interior part. And they said they were listening to our broadcast, and they went into that interior part. So just a surreal event um, that I never want to forget. And I wanted to, so thanks again to give me a chance to, to talk to you guys about it and share the similar experiences. Gannon, um, I think we've talked about this before off of this show, but this was also one of your more, uh, one of your first tornado events, kind of bigger tornado events to cover, correct? Yeah, I, mean, I got into Greenville in um, October of 2004. There were a couple of active springs and falls as per usual. 2008 sticks out. But like, like, like Mike and Tim said, I mean, they're just usually just a couple tornadoes and then you move on and maybe they're in rural areas and maybe they're not, you know, exceptional damage producers. But then this one just is bold faced, italicized and underlined when you look back on it. So yeah, the biggest event, and thank God it's, the, it's still the biggest tornado event. Dorian was a huge producer, but um, still nothing compares to, to April 16, 2011. I, um, I've been to a few conferences and I've heard, um, Jeff, I'll, I'll send this to you. Um, you know, obviously 2011 remembered for the Tuscaloosa, Alabama, April 27th event. Had that not happened, this would have been the event that a lot of, of the meteorological community would have looked back on uh, tornado-wise, Jeff. Um, you know, as the Weather Service, I know you guys do a lot of meetings and stuff. Do uh, 
has this um, has this event kind of um, tailored some of your studies or or some of your your outlooks on stuff that you've I guess done case studies on this event to to kind of find out the the, the whys of, of what happened and how how to better prepare for maybe the next setup we get like this. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt this event. I mean, it still stands out, even though, like you're saying, the the later event was was even larger than this one. Um, you know, for our region, this is still you know what our, our benchmark you know storm and. You know, it even went up, not even just to Carolinas, eventually went up into Virginia and did a lot of damage up there too. So, you know, this has been, it's been widely studied. You know, it, it was before some of the newer technology um, came out with the, on, on the radar, um, even uh, some of the new impact-based warnings. So we've actually gone back in and rerun cases like this uh, with what we call the impact-based warnings. And, and uh, we did use tornado emergency, uh, but nowadays we even have more tags we can put into the warnings to kind of say, okay, you know, it's radar confirmed on the ground before we even have, you know, spotter reports of anything on the ground, we can confirm it just using radar data. Um, and so we've actually used cases like this um, and kind of run back through them with some of the, the new products and new ways that we issue tornado warnings, um, as well as some of the different uh, dual pole products. So, you know, we do go back in and, and kind of practice and relive some of these events like this, uh, putting them more into, I'd say, the current, the current time. Uh, so, this is definitely a, a benchmark event. Um, we also look at it from a standpoint of, you know, staffing and how do you how do you handle events like this because they don't come around often. So you know, you kind of go back and look at you know how how does operations run in the weather service office when you have an event like this, making sure that you know you're you're dotting your eyes, you're crossing your t's. You know, every storm is being interrogated, you know, simultaneously, and that you've got warning operations going. Um, you know, for each each individual storm, and you're doing your coordination with 911 centers, and working with emergency management, and then keeping the damage reports, you know, as they're coming in, also sending them out. So, you know, looking at how an office should run, you know, and how we should be running our operations to keep things, you know, being pushed out, so folks know what's happening. I mean, we use events like this to kind of go back and revisit and relive, you know, what we did right, and also sometimes where we can improve, but. Uh, it's important to kind of take these events in context, realizing it's, we'll have an event, something like this again, at some point in the future, we hope not, but we've got to be ready for it. And, and Jeff, uh, one more question, then I want to get to Dan and, and Jeremy and let them talk about what they experienced out in the field. Uh, we were talking before this show, uh, you guys at a point in time, I think it was five, six, seven minutes, were backed up by the National Weather Service in Blacksburg. Can you talk to our viewers tonight who may not realize in these situations when the weather service is actually in danger of, of getting hit by a tornado. You actually pass the coverage off to a neighboring office. Yeah, so similar to what Mike was saying earlier, you know, about probably just shortly after the tornado went through Sanford and we saw that you could see the massive debris ball um, on the radar uh, before it got to Holly Springs, you know, we realized that, that this thing was coming into most likely Southern Wake and eventually the south side of Raleigh where the weather service office was. So. Uh, I remember I picked up the phone and talked to the Blacksburg office. So we're paired so that a neighboring weather service office can really kind of basically restart their computer system and they can come up as if they're, you know, the Raleigh weather service office. So we called them probably almost half an hour out and just said, Hey, look, you know, we, we may get to the point where we've got to be backed up if this thing gets too close. So be ready to go, giving them a chance to get the radar up and running, the warning system up and running uh, things that they would need. And I think we called them back. I want to say about, probably 15 to 20 minutes later, and we basically said, okay, this, this, this thing may really come get us now. And so I basically remember saying, if you hear from us again, you've got it. Um, and so then 
what we started doing is we had 12 people in operation. So as it got closer, we started funneling some folks downstairs into the lower part of, of uh, the building. And we kept three of us up in operations. And literally about the time we could see insulation and things falling outside the window, uh, we picked up the phone and basically told Blacksburg, you know, okay, you've got it, we're, we're sheltering at this point. And we had already issued the tornado emergency for Raleigh. So the warnings were already um, out for Raleigh. And then we sheltered downstairs, like you're saying, for about, probably about seven minutes. Um, and then came up and the tornado passed just to our east uh, going up South Saunders Street. More of our conversation when the Carolina Weather Group returns after this short break. Thanks for staying with us. We'll pick up our conversation now on this week's episode of the Carolina Weather Group. Dan and Jeremy, y'all had a very different kind of experience. Um, you guys were actually out in the field chasing uh, these long track tornadoes. Um, I guess, Dan, we'll start with you since you're the first on my screen. Uh, kind of give us the firsthand perspective. What was it like actually being there within a mile of these uh, monsters? One of the things that we had at the time that we still use that was was very active was the NC Storm Chasers and Forecasters group on Facebook. And um, fortunately, you know, there's a lot of information coming in through there being funneled in as well. Um, and I remember I was in Alabama. I caught the storm. And all of a sudden there started being people kind of looking at some of the parameters for the next day in North Carolina. Uh, this was when it was at a moderate, I guess, before it got uh, pushed to a high risk. And uh, one of the things that was being looked at was how the storm system I was currently inside and the, you know, what was turning into a squall line in Alabama was going to keep pushing across into North Carolina. Um, and they were seeing on the HRRR runs um, how, basically that squall line eventually was going to break apart into supercells and that's when really the tornado potential would strengthen. Um, and so when that started coming into play, um, I, I just hauled it right straight back towards North Carolina, uh, drove all night long and um, made it into uh, Greensboro, uh, Burlington area to, to, for the start of where the tornado warnings really kind of got going. Um, followed the storm uh, in front of it. I actually was able to bust through it uh, near, because I was inside of it slash behind it until about uh, Charlotte to Greensboro, somewhere in there I busted through the front of it um, and got in front of the squall line and then was in front of it uh, near Burlington to Raleigh, somewhere in between there, maybe kind of close to Durham. Um, and that's kind of when it's, it went tornado warned and it started to kind of quickly um, overwhelm my vehicle and me and my ability to keep chasing it. Uh, there's a couple things that were very clear about this uh, storm system and about these storms, which is one, they were very fast moving. Um, I remember they were going about 60 plus 60 to 80 miles an hour um, was what I was trying to keep up with and stay in front of um, and position myself in, in hook echoes so that I could try and get a good visual of these, for the most part, pretty rain wrapped, low, nature storms um, that were just hard to spot. Um, I had had great luck in Alabama the day before. Um, I actually found myself up on a hill is, is kind of how I was able to see that tornado so well for such a long period of time. Uh, but this day it seems, you know, in North Carolina, a lot more heavy rain, a lot more heavy wind. Uh, I basically ended up inside of some um, severe uh, winds um, going, I mean, you know, just at a guesstimate, you know, 50 to 70 miles an hour at, at the very least, um, sideways blowing rain. Um, once I got out of that, I tried to get back in position, ended up in that again. Uh, eventually, just kind of the whole storm 
inside of that tornado warning just overwhelmed me and um, got in front of me right right as it got into Raleigh. Um, and just waiting for this line and, you know, we're sitting there going, oh man, this thing is not breaking up. There's no, there's no supercells, you know, what's happening all of a sudden, obviously within a few frames, it, it, it started to go. Um, and so we're in Newton Grove still, and uh, which was the right area to be. We just got a little impatient and saw the first one. By then, it was already hitting Sanford and the Lowe's. And um, we decided to, to speed on towards Raleigh to try to get it there. And um, I, do remember as, I do remember, as Mike May said earlier, um, the broadcast, uh, Kevin had his ham radio with us. He had a ham radio in the car because he was doing the storm spotting. Um, but... Um, I do remember that specific broadcast said, do not approach Raleigh, stop where you are and all this stuff. And one thing I do remember about that whole day is just a surreal feeling that I can't even describe in the atmosphere. Um, and the winds even outside the thunderstorms are blowing 40 to 50 miles an hour. Uh, lots of inflow into these supercells from a long distance away, blowing dust and all of that. Um, but when we got to Raleigh um, as a, it was said it went up South Saunders Street. We were pretty, we were not far from there uh, coming on to the Beltline. And um, it was, uh, I remember specifically seeing the power flashes just to my left as we were coming in. And we stopped right there because we knew it was rain wrapped. We couldn't see it. And we looked for an exit after that. And then we were trying to decide, do we, uh, for about a couple of minutes, do we, do we try to keep up with this one? We all knew that the storms, as uh, Dan said, were doing, you know, forward speeds of 60 to 80 miles an hour. We're already behind it. We're in a metro area. We're like, no, let's get out of here. Let's go for the next one down the line. That was the Wilson storm. And interestingly enough, that storm hit Fayetteville first, uh, that same, that next cell down the line. And I have a friend there who was uh, in contact with me pretty much before we were chasing the Raleigh one um, saying, do I need to take shelter? Is this, is this the real deal? And I looked and the couplet was almost on top of them. And I'm like, yes, get in, you know, and they, they got into a closet and um, the tornado did hit their house. Fortunately at that point, it was the start of that tornado's path. So it was weaker. They had a few shingles gone, but up the road from them, it turned into EF3 damage. So, but they were, you know, they did take precautions and they were fine. Um, I didn't find that out till later, but um so then I had to beat the forward flank of that next cell. So uh, coming out of Raleigh, so uh, I was speeding definitely uh, to, to beat that forward flank to get. Uh, I didn't want to get cored and then stuck and miss the, knowing how fast these storms were moving. So um, I was driving a Volkswagen Beetle at the time, uh, and um, finally made it to um, 795 area. I got just a little bit south of it, and. Um, because I did want to get a clear view if there was a, a tornado. And then we were going up 795 northbound. Um, and uh, so we get a straight on look at it. And look to, look, I looked to my left and I saw the rotation. I looked to my left and I'm like, is that what I think it is? Because it was kind of, there wasn't that much contrast at that point. And, um, and it was an open field. And so we, we just decided to stop there. And then it came out from some trees. And sure enough, that's the tornado, which uh, many of you have probably seen the video of. No marker 5.5 looking north-northeast. Large tornado on the ground, all the way to the ground. Uh, multiple times. 
Um, Kevin called it in. I think the tornado was about 100 yards wide uh, at that point. Um, we were about a mile, a mile and a half away. I could have gotten a lot closer to it, but I did not know the area that well, so I didn't know if I was going to pull up. That's the only reason I didn't. Um, I didn't want to lose the view we had, and I knew how fast it was moving. I knew we had one shot to get a look at it, and that was going to be it, and then it was going to be gone. Um, and so we decided, all right, we got a good view here. Yeah, no, we're not super close, you know, but we'll just stay where we are and we're, and we're safe here. So we took, we watched it, and then uh, kind of, kind of faded into the rain from where we were as the rear flank downdraft came around. Um, and we got hit by that a little bit. And then after that point, we uh, we took off for the next cell down the line, uh, which we, we ended up in Farmville outside of Greenville. Um, and we just missed it. We just moved, we weren't fast enough. Uh, these storms were moving way too quickly. Um, so we just had to find a safe, we actually had to use an escape route and go into the rain and hail so we'd get away from the couplet and uh, let it pass because we weren't gonna be able to see it from where we were. And then, um, so we did and then um, we went into Farmville and there were, we saw the damage there. It just happened, but immediately, amazingly, the emergency crews were there. They were probably there within a minute or two after the storm passed. And so we took a look for a minute and I remember letting, uh, you know, again, cell phone, I mean, smartphones were relatively new, but I did have one, uh, Pickle 3. And um, I remember just letting a guy whose house got damaged uh, use it to call his family. And then uh, we wanted to get out of the way of the emergency services as quickly as we could. So then that was it. And then there was a squall line behind that. That was it. And then we went home after that. And then the last thing I remember um, is going to the NC State Library to upload my footage to, uh, to YouTube since I had a super fast connection as quickly as I could. And I think I remember emailing Mike Mays and sending him the link or something like that right away. And then uh, Ariel, I know, put it up. And then um, it actually ended up in a few things like a National Geographic uh, did a special on that whole spring because as Dan said, there were a number of outbreaks that spring. Everybody remembers Tuscaloosa and all that. This was one of three, I think, major outbreaks that they covered in that series. And uh, so it ended up kind of spreading from there. And uh, I think it is still my most viewed video to this date. But, um, and that was about it. That was about the general summary of my day right there. Were you guys able to, uh, after this event, the, in the days to come, to go out and survey some of the damage? If so, uh, what, what kind of stuck out to you guys? Our biggest storm was in Bladen County, uh, in Elizabethtown specifically. Uh, there were four fatalities there between, I believe, Elizabethtown and closer to Bladenboro also. Uh, a couple tornadoes up there in Bladen. And, and our reporters, I, I'll, I'll say they had a tough time coming back from those reports because a lot of the the structures really were just torn apart. It was EF2 damage, but a lot of um, a lot of mobile homes, a lot of uh, weakly built structures there uh, didn't stand a chance at all um, based on the strength of the storms that day. So uh, like, like we usually see in North Carolina, a lot of times the tornadoes are short-lived and on the grand scale, rather weak. Uh, this was just, there were a ton of tornadoes and most of them were really strong ones by our measure at least too. So so the damage was was much worse than we usually see. 
uh, in a tornado outbreak. It, it was tough to watch. I remember a lot of people really, you know, if they weren't personally affected by it, emotionally, they certainly were. And there was a big outreach to try and help folks in the, in the weeks following. So I have a question, um, Tim, coming back to you. How do you think the, the public responded as these warnings were going off and, and uh, folks were being warned, hey, look, stay inside. These, these tornadoes are canvassing a wide area. Um, there's no exacts, but do you feel like a majority of the, the public really responded well to that? Or do you think maybe it was a learning lesson for a lot of folks? Well, I think it is difficult. Um, every event is different, right? And, and I think after this event, probably people took warnings more seriously because this was such a significant one and really a, a generational one. On that day, I, I can't really speak to how individual folks reacted. Um, I think it was hard for them to understand it was such a beautiful, bright and sunny day in most of the areas until those storms got right up on top of you. So it was almost difficult to understand to the layperson how serious the weather really was. So a lot of these tornado warnings, you know, like, like Dan was saying earlier, these storms are going 60, 80 miles per hour. The, the polygons were pretty big to account for that size. And you might have the warning going off and you're still in the sunshine, right? So that's not a typical response where you're going to shelter right away. You might take your time. Uh, so I do think that there was, number one, a challenge with it being a midday on a Saturday, a little harder for folks to maybe be paying attention normally. Um, I guess it was always a case-by-case -case basis, but you look at the fatalities, there, there, were, there were a lot. There were just a lot. So I do think it was a learning lesson for a lot of folks after. After all these storms had passed uh, and the days following the event, you guys had to go out and conduct storm surveys. Uh, what did that look like and how, you know, how busy were we all? Because that was a lot of tornadoes to cover. And so within the first day, we knew we needed to get that, the fatal tornadoes that were long track, we needed to get those really well defined. Um, and so we got those done. Um, and then there were still some additional surveys on those two. But then really, you spent the rest of the week um, going out into different areas. You know, it took about a week to survey the entire area um, to get all the tornadoes in. Um, but we focused on the ones that we knew were the, were the worst, that there was the most attention on. Um, just to get the EF rating, the tracks, the intensity, really identifying how the people died. Uh, when, when we lost people, you know, that's a tough thing to have to do uh, to go out there and deal with, work with families that have lost everything. And a lot of times they're out there picking over their stuff, you, you know, and, and you're, you want to learn what, what they've gone through a little bit, but you've also got to be very careful. But most people really do want to talk to you and tell you their story. Um, so we get out there and interact with them. The Lowe's was just an incredible story where they, they had heard the warning um, and then somebody came in to the front of the Lowe's and basically said the tornado's coming. And I remember we talked to the manager, he got on the loudspeaker in the store and just told everybody to go to the back um, where the bathrooms were, there's more infrastructure in the back. And of course the tornado hit, it blew in the, uh, those, those big sliding glass doors, it's, it blew those in, the whole front wall of the Lowe's hardware blows in and the front roof collapse. And, and so the manager in that Lowe's, I mean, who knows how many lives he saves, but there was a, there was a lot of good stories like that, but there was a lot of tough stories with a lot of loss through the day that, that makes it tough. But it took us a week to get our hands around all of the damage across central North Carolina. What, what's your lasting memory from this event? Uh, if you could um, share it with, with the folks who are watching, uh, what's your lasting memory from the event? I'll start with, uh, with you first, Jeremy. Uh, well, with me, I think it was just even more than the tornado itself was just the surreal feeling that entire day and the surreal feel of the atmosphere. 
those winds, like I said, that were inflow into the storms themselves. Um, just the, I don't know, kind of nervous, um, like Mike Mays almost being a little bit scared. I think we all were a little bit. I, I mean, at least I was at the, at the same time as, as being, you know, excited to possibly see a tornado. Of course, I don't want to see anyone get hurt. Or Nothing quite compares to um, what that system did. Everything from the speed to the tops of the storms being, um, in a lot of cases, kind of lower topped. Um, and especially the moment where it went from the squall line into breaking up into those individual supercells and seeing that, like Jeremy said, happen in a couple of frames on radar, if, you know, AKA 10 minutes in time, all of a sudden it went from a messy situation to you have eight of the most textbook supercells in a line coming up, sweeping across the state at a high speed. Uh, being in the middle of that and seeing the actual sun break through the squall line as those storms separated, was just a surreal moment, something that I haven't seen happen in North Carolina since, um, or anywhere really for that matter. I mean, every now and then a strong storm system will separate from a squall line to supercells, but I've never seen anything to that degree. This was a long week event for us because it took a long time to get every, all the surveys done. But I mean, going back to that day, you know, things I remember obviously being in the office, but just how well everything did work. You know, we, we did lose you know, more people than obviously you, you never want to lose anybody. Um, we saved a lot of lives that day, you know, and so going out there and seeing how much devastation there was and how many people were doing the right thing and seeing how well things went in the weather office. I remember watching WREL with like Mike was talking earlier and they had tornado emergency just in big bold red across the bottom of the TV set. Um, they were on wall to wall coverage. You know, we were getting great spotter reports, you know, it's, it was one of those days where there was, everybody was intensely worried. We were all had a heightened awareness, but everything really worked the way it was supposed to work. I mean, everything we had practiced, you know, all the work we've done with the media and Skywarn and, and the training inside the office, it just all came together. Um, and so, you know, while we lost people that day, you know, and, and that's, that's always a tragic thing. There was a lot of things that did work and a lot of people came together and, and I'd say performed at a top level. And it, at the end of the day, it saved lives. For me, I was, I was definitely still a kid at the moment, I think I was 23 years old or 24 years old or something like that. And thankfully, Jerry Jackson, who I was working with at the time, he, he had drilled with us you know, very basic severe weather coverage do's and don'ts. The, like three simple things. Tell folks where the storm is, where it's going, what they should do, and then tell them again. And if you have more than one storm, do one, two, three, however many you have, then go back to the first one. So we, we, we really boiled it down to basics. I think we did a pretty good job that day. And I think, you know, this event really prepared me for, for further events along the, down the road to not get too amped up, too nervous or whatever. Just kind of keep it simple, tell folks what they need to know and what they need to do. Uh, and that's really the, the whole reason why we're here, right? So this is a, this is a big moment uh, for North Carolina and, you know, just personally for me and kind of seeing what the weather can do and why we're here. I, I do remember one point, I, I couldn't tell you what time it was, but it was just, we, we, had, a little, we had a little Viper radar system from, from Barron in the office. That was our primary drive thing. And I remember, I remember we would go out and, and expand and zoom into like Kansas or Oklahoma when they would be having their events. And we would see what the radar would look like. And, and I just, and I remember just thinking to myself at some point, I should be seeing I-35, I should be seeing like 
OKC and Wichita as delineators here. Instead, I'm seeing Kinston and Goldsboro. <laughs> and it was, just, it was just really crazy to see that kind of – those kind of returns. Everything, classic supercells all lined up in a row. Gentlemen, we definitely appreciate your time tonight. Um, thank you for, um, for going over this with us. Um, thank you guys who are watching tonight. Thank you for allowing us to step back in Carolina weather history and, and talk about this event. Uh, be sure to uh, check out this week. We'll be uh, posting some more updates about this event throughout our social media pages. So be sure to, uh, to check that as well. So for everyone here at the Carolina Weather Group, we hope you have a great evening and we'll talk to you next time.